Republicans swear off earmarks, even the ones that help cancer patients. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, host of All Sides with Ann Fisher on WOSU 820. William Hershey, statehouse reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Bob Clegg, Republican strategist. And Michael Daniels, co-publisher of Outlook Media. Congressional earmarks may be a casualty of the 2010 midterms. The House and Senate are considering a ban. Earmarks are the provisions lawmakers quietly tack on to spending bills to pay for special projects in their districts or in their states. Even though they just make up a tiny fraction of the federal budget, earmarks have come to symbolize wasteful spending in Washington. But wasteful spending can be in the eye of the beholder. This year, Franklin County received about $15 million from earmarks. Among the projects, a $2 million addition to the Beetler Armory in Northwest Columbus, $900,000 for the OSU Cancer Center, $650,000 for a uh, child care center, and a half million dollars to improve the Worthington sewer system. Bill Hershey, without the earmarks, are similar projects like these gone? Not necessarily gone. It might be harder for them to... uh be funded. I don't think Ohio is going to be neglected as long as it's a crucial state in the presidential election. But it seems to me that this will give the executive branch more power and more authority over where this uh, money is spent. And we'll see how long this earmark ban lasts. I think in some ways it's sort of a feint. They can talk all about abolishing earmarks. I believe I saw one figure, it's 0.5% of the federal budget. Well, this is a way to talk about saving money and without going after the real uh, costly things like Medicaid, Social Security. Uh, so let's see how long it lasts. I mean, the bridge to nowhere is the most infamous, I guess, earmark, and that's it's just a symbol of spending yeah, money. Yeah, and there not was a Lawrence Welk Museum at one point. I think in that North was Dakota. Dakota. A lot of museums. I think the thing is, is that earmarks are go- are going to get to be like, or already have become like, you know, your own congressman. Well, you know, down with them all, the pox on both their houses, except for my for mine. <laughs> right. you know. Well, I, th- you know, I think it, I agree with Bill. I mean, th- it's a very small portion of the uh, budget, you know. But I think what it does, it symbolizes the, the back and forth trading, just the whole way of business being done in Washington that we saw so clearly in the health care uh, passage of, of the health care bill. And I think people were saying in this last election, we don't, we've had enough of that deal making. Let's let's stop that and let's move on and let's do what's best for everybody, not just for certain areas of the country. Michael, is, it, uh, is that possible to do away with the pork barrel pork barrel politics and, and trading? It's been with us forever. It's I I don't think so. I, I I don't even think that they'll necessarily that the the ban on earmarks will somehow fail and each side will will blame the other for its failure. As you said, it's not a significant part of this. And the ability to be able to horse trade is is part of politics. I mean, that's just part of what it is. I think it's also, it, it's one of the privileges of seniority. The longer you were there and the more favors you accrue, the more things you can then bring home, the more things you can put your name on. I mean, I suspect that, that there are lots and lots and lots of things in West Virginia named after Robert Byrd that might... But I always thought when I was growing up that the whole log rolling concept had to do with policies. Like, I'll vote for your bill and I'll vote for that policy. It's all come down to um, these earmarks. And uh, if you could eliminate the earmarks and have people focusing on them, they would actually be 
uh, talking maybe about the policies. So what is the what is the budgeting solution? Is it the line item veto where the executive, the president, or some governors have this power now? They can go in there and they can whack projects line by line. That's not a power the president I, has. I right don't now. think Congress wants that to happen. I mean, that would really take away their power. It would give the president even more power than he would have with this uh, ban on uh, earmarks. So I, I don't know. Are Pres they talking about a ban ban, or are they talking about Temporary we're going, we're going to resist the urge no, to earmarks? About a ban ban. <laughs> two year, but I guess one proposal two, yes. is a two-year ban on yeah. earmarks. And, I, you know, I think the problem here is for every good earmark that you can point to, there's like seven or eight bad ones that you can point to, like the Bridge to Nowhere or these museums or Unless any you're of this in other district. stuff. Well, Unless but even the people, district. even sometimes the people in that district see how bad. There are a lot of people that just want the federal government to spend their money correctly and wisely. And even if it's your own district, you may see that it's going to some armory and you're wondering, how is this really helping Homeland Security by spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in this armory? Yeah. And I think the wheeling and dealing did get a little heavy handed. Uh, no offense to your party, when Congressman DeLay was in power and... Uh, Washington uh, wielding power for Republicans. He was I a master. I don't think it was quite that. as heavy-handed as when they cut the deal with Bill Nelson to vote for, or with uh, Ben Nelson to vote for the health care bill. I but guess that's it's okay. deals in the eye of the beholder <laughs> kind of a thing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see who capitulates. Um, how about a balanced budget amendment? States have to balance their budgets in the Ohio Constitution. They have to balance the budget, so you're going to cut eight billion dollars if you can't balance it. it yeah. Ever see that in the, at the federal level? Should be. Should be. If Should they're going to ever do it, they're going to have to, um, what do you say, they're going to have to gradually uh, implement that. I can't, they just can't. Yeah. Well, because we were it'll facing take, a, what, a 14, 15 billion, exactly. or a trillion, a trillion dollar deficit? It'll take decades. We have a balanced budget in Ohio, but we have a balanced operating budget. We also have a separate process for issuing debt. It seems like the federal government all gets mixed up together, and it... I mean, it wouldn't be simple to start with, but there's no reason to not try to balance the operating budget at the federal Com Completely level. agree. Sitting on the other side of the political yeah. spectrum, completely agree. There's no reason that we shouldn't do that. We have to do it sitting around our kitchen tables at home. The states have to do it. The, the, the city has to do it. The county has to do it. The state has to do it. There's no reason the federal government shouldn't also I have to you, do it. I tell you, if we that. did have to balance the budget on a federal level, we wouldn't even be talking about earmarks. Right. Because that wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, are, that's right. are states and cities able to balance mm -hmm. their budgets because the federal government doesn't have to? Case in point, $8 billion during the uh, economic downturn for, o for Ohio helped them balance their budget. Well, the federal government literally prints money, as we know yeah. now with this <laughs> Fed policy. And when they don't uh, print money or spend properly a lot, mm -hmm. taxes get pushed down to the state and local governments. and they uh, So the federal government's sort of a safety net for cities and states. But as Bill suggests, if we need that kind of a safety net at the state level, there, there could be a potentially a way to raise additional revenue. I mean, you could do federal, you know, the rail stuff. You can have a bake sale or a bond sale to, to be able to do that. So you could still generate those kinds of revenues. The same way, but, you know, you wouldn't generate as much because you're not you're not printing it. Right. It, will, it would be a lot less money. And remember, the federal government pumps money into the states to do a lot of other things besides these frivolities, it, it builds roads Agreed. and things like that and bridges and that sort of thing, which we're already way behind on. But unfortunately, this is only a temporary safety net yeah. because, I mean, you can't count on it all the time, and that's why we're facing an $8 billion budget hole here in Ohio. Let's get to our next topic. Now that the 2010 midterms are a distant memory, 
It's time to turn our attention to the 2012 election. That's the one where U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown will run for re-election. And while this month's election results have yet to be certified, partisans are preparing for the next statewide challenge. Bob Clegg, which Republicans are looking at possibly running against Sherrod Brown? I think there are a few out there that are, that are thinking about it. Um, I think we have a couple congressmen, uh, one being Jim Jordan from, uh, from the Urbana area. And, um, you know, he's not, he was running for leadership in the House, and he's not wanting to talk about 2012, but I think that's something that's out there. I think Steve Latourette from uh, Lake County up in Northeast Ohio is, uh, is being mentioned. I, it's probably something that they're thinking about. I also think if you look at, at statewide, everybody just has gotten elected, so you really wouldn't expect anybody from that grouping to be interested except for uh, Mary Taylor, who's going to be the lieutenant governor. Um, there was a precedence in 1992 when uh, Mike DeWine ran against John Glenn, even though he had only become lieutenant governor two years before. Um, so I think I think you would have to count her into that mix, also. John Husted, Secretary uh, of State. I a think lower level. you know it's when you've just been elected to a uh, administrative office like that. I think it's you know. Uh, sure, he, he would be a great U.S. senator, but, you know, I, I don't know if, if electorally you can do that. Will Republicans make, if it was a mistake, the same mistake the Democrats made and have a primary like there was between Lee Fisher and Jennifer Bruner? Do you see that happening? No. It's pretty hard to tell <coughs> this far ahead, but yeah. I'd say the Republican Party in Ohio is pretty well disciplined, and they've seen what happens when they do have nasty primaries like they did in the 2006 governor's race. Ken Blackwell uh, and Jim Pizzo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they didn't have one this year. They got Mr. Ganley out yeah. and paved the way for Rob Portman. You have to figure that Sherrod Brown, though, will be in a much better position. Can't be any worse than Ted Strickland was in or that uh, Lee Fisher was in this time around. I, I think that's absolutely true. I think, first of all, I think Sherrod is, is one of those characters that everybody loves. Um, you don't have to agree with Sherrod, but I think that uh, that most people like him. I think the other thing is that Ohioans have shown for a really long time that they like having um, a Republican and a Democrat in the United States Senate. Um, and I think that we'll continue to see that. So I think that I don't think it's going to be something that, that Brown's going to cruise to reelection, but he's certainly going to be in a better position two years from now than, than the Democratic ticket this year was in. Bob, do you really like Sherrod Brown? <laughs> I didn't say anything, okay? <laughs> all I'm saying is I think it's not going to be as easy as you think it is. Um, I think it's going to be all about, in 2012, I think it's all going to be about is uh, President Obama. And I think depending on how, what kind of shape he is in will determine what kind of shape uh, Sherrod's going to be in. Uh, you know, he's got to defend votes for the stimulus that didn't stimulate. He's going to have to vote for a health care reform bill that a lot of people don't like. And my guess is whoever our candidate's going to be is going to be against the stimulus, against the health care bill. And, you know, it's going to be a tough election. It's going to be a lot about Obama, no doubt about it. But Congress and whether Congress does anything over the next two years, I think is going to have a lot to do with the outcomes of the elections. Now, I think it's a lot more about Congress than it might have been. If I were a Republican, I'd be afraid that Sherrod Brown might be the next Howard Metzenbaum. His policies people don't like. But yet he managed to win. He'd go into these southern Ohio uh, counties and win. And Sherrod's a very hard worker, and he's got that populist streak in him that seems to even appeal to some of these cultural conservatives. Maybe you don't see that, but well, I just Well, I think voters now versus 20 years ago care about issues more, are 
understand and know about issues better than they did back then. And I think that's why this year you saw people, you know, want to know if their representative voted for or against the stimulus or the health care bill. I mean, these are things that we never saw 20 years ago, people getting and knowing and under, understanding these pieces of legislation that they vote Individual. on. Well, what about the stimulus? What if the economy's better? in 2012 and you say the stimulus failed I think it's too early to tell that uh, what if it succeeded well I mean what will what defines success for me eight percent unemployment. unemployment okay well five percent unemployment we aren't gonna be talking about the stimulus because Barack Obama will look like a genius and he'll get reelected easily but it's gonna be somewhere between five and ten I don't think <laughs> probably I would guess <laughs> we can hope anyway regardless there's the prediction of that um, the, he's against the climate bill, at least he's shown very serious concerns for the, the climate bill, Sherrod Brown has. Well, he has concerns about the jobs yeah. that would be lost yeah. because of the climate bill, and he's been straddling that, that fence for at least two or three years and doesn't want to yep. you know, make, make his liberal uh, supporters mad by being against it, but at the same time understanding that this could have a gigantic impact on jobs here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So he's been trying to straddle it. I don't know how much longer he can. Okay. The 2012 congressional races face additional uncertainty, the additional uncertainty of redistricting. That will take place over the next year or so. Ohio stands to lose two congressional seats, and that means state lawmakers will have to carve out new districts because, and because Republicans are in complete control, they will carve the districts to favor their candidates. We, we assume, anyway. Lee Fisher, I mean, uh, Lee Fisher and Fisher, no relation. Let's start out with a lesson on gerrymandering. Just basically, how do they carve the districts to help their well, party? There's so many people in the state, and the districts have to be equal, so they carve the districts out to make them uh, population-wise equal. And, of course, they do it in a way, the gerrymandering part comes in, when they do it to favor one candidate over, or one party over another. They can lump all the Democrats in one, leaving other ones more competitive. They could. Yeah. They could. Or they could make it look pretty good sometimes. <laughs> well, we got some Democrats in there, but they know their districts. They know them. They, I mean, everything's computerized now. It's, it's fascinating how detailed it can get right down to the city block. Any speculation early, it's still early, as to which districts might be in trouble. You'll have to have probably incumbents running against Republican each other. Republican districts, probably. Well, I mean, I, I think the big, you, you talk about us losing two, which we very well could. That's the projection. I mean, we could lose one, though, by yeah. some miracle. If we lose one, I think it's pretty obvious we're going to lose one up in Northeast, Northeast Ohio, Ohio. Right. and it's a Democrat. If we lose two, then that becomes a little, our, our success in this past election and we'll, we'll, we'll make that job a little bit more difficult. Do you think you could eliminate two Democratic districts? There's only five now. I think it's tough. I think, I, think, I think you can easily go down to four, yeah. uh, but I think it's tough to, to go down to three, real tough, without in endangering other Republicans that are out there in the, in the state that are in districts. The Plain Dealer did a study, and they, they showed that Republicans have pretty, been pretty successful, Michael, in... Re this redistricting process. They have lost the popular vote, you could say, right. on Ohio, I guess, 15 out of 20 elections over the past 40 years, but they still end up with more congressional seats. Well, and I think they, they have. They've done a very nice job of, of using the computer models. Bob, Bob Clegg is a very smart guy. <laughs> and um, they've done a nice job of, of using the computer models. But if you look at, the, for instance, the city of Columbus, it's split right down the middle. I live in the 12th, walk across the street to work in the 15th. And so 
you know, if, if, if they hadn't done that, then there would be a whole lot of Democrats in the city who might elect a Democrat to Congress. But that's how we managed to, you know, the, it, it makes the, perhaps makes the districts a little more competitive. Um, but but it's, it's, it's easy enough to do. And the party in power, you know what? We knew that. We knew the apportionment board was up for, for election. People turned out. People voted. The apportionment board is what it is. And if the tables were reversed and I had a chance to redraw the districts and draw out two Republicans, I'd do it. Um, Democrats had a chance on the, to work out a different chance. John Houston proposed a more bipartisan commission to yep. do the redistricting. Mm -hmm. Democrats said, no, we'll take our chances. Now they lost. Yep. Big. I don't think it was a very good idea for them to say no, but, you know, what do I know about that stuff? So I think the Democrats thought they were going to keep the governor's office and the House, and they would have had a two-to-one advantage in congressional redistricting. Now they got nothing. Uh, so that I, I just want to say about, it's not just Columbus, it's Franklin County. Yeah. There's three congressional districts in Franklin County. Mm -hmm. I mean, where's the community of interest? What's Columbus got to do with Springfield or some of these other places well, that are in the are same ridiculous. district? Some of them go all the way from Canal Winchester all the way up into Westerville and north of there. Oh, well, I mean, one would think that someone living in an Italian village has more in common with someone in a Victorian village than he does with someone in Licking County, but right. um, perhaps <laughs> not. You know. Perhaps <laughs> not. Perhaps <laughs> not. All right, at the State House, you could call this the calm before the storm. When there is a change of power, lame duck sessions can be busy, but this session precedes an expansion of Republican power at the State House. So lawmakers seem to be sitting on their hands and not acting on some significant bills like bills to help foreclosure victims. Bill Hershey, I take it the Republicans who are in the Senate are not in any hurry to do anything until they get the House and the governorship. They're going to do something. They're going to reject all Governor Strickland's uh, candidates, or not candidates, nominees for the Casino Control Commission. But the window has closed on the uh, House Democrats' agendas. Bills they've passed, such as foreclosure, uh, you know, help, uh, the bill on uh, civil rights for housing and employment for gays and lesbians, that's not going to be voted on. Even the text messaging ban that passed in the House, that's not going to be voted on. They w they're going to let uh, Governor-elect Kasich have his way about things. Most of the lame duck session will be spent on farewell speeches. How unusual is this? In past lame duck sessions, we've criticized lawmakers for rushing things through. Well, I think when, when you have a change in, in, in party power in major ones like with, for governor and for the House of Representatives, this is kind of typical. I mean, we're, we're not going to see a lot uh, of, of lame duck activity, but I, like you said, a lot of times there's too much activity. They're, they're taking care of things that they didn't want to do before the election, like pay raises and things like that, and it becomes a bad thing. So I'm, I'm not all that upset about the fact that they aren't going to do a lot. I don't remember. I think you're right in general, but this issue of uh, the governor's appointees to different commissions and boards, there are a lot more than just that at stake. And at the, at the outset of this, this kerfuffle over all of this, they were talking about all of them, just blowing yeah. off all of them. Now they're saying, well, wait a minute, we'll bring some back. But there's no guarantee that it's just going to be limited to the, uh, the, the gambling commission. I think all the major ones that really set policy, not, not that right. the other ones are inconsequential, but they're going to not be approved. Right, uh, right. And I don't remember that. But we haven't had anything like this really since Gilligan got defeated in 1974. And I was just a beginning reporter then even. I don't know, too. I was coming to Mogador Village Council or maybe Dayton City Hall. I don't know which. And, and, to be, and to be completely fair, to be, the, to, to be the best possible loser I could be in this last election, 
I don't necessarily know that even if the House Democrats had held the House, that there'd be a whole lot different going on right now yeah. either. I'm not so sure that we would have seen the, the equality yeah, right. bill. HB 176, I don't think, would have gone to the floor. I think there would have been a lot of things that would have been dragged out, and the Republicans would have made the Democrats pass them again. Yeah. So I'm not so sure that we're seeing less activity than we might have. I want to get to one interesting development this week. State Senator Tim Grindell, who won a House seat on Election Day, may not take it. He now says he may stay in the Senate, where he has two years left in his current Senate term. This is odd. He's won a House seat. Voters voted for him, but he may not move over there. Why not, Bill? What's the what's the? Well, I think we should defer to our Republican expert on <laughs> okay. this one. I don't understand, Senator Grindell. But I think I think he wants his wife appointed to yes. the uh, Senate seat. She's an appeals court judge, and uh, you know, let them do whatever they want. What do you think? Um, I think the arrogance involved in this is breathtaking. <laughs> I mean, when you have the will of the people electing you to an office, and then you decide. Mm, no, I don't think I want to take that office after all. I mean, this is unbelievable. You can't make this one up. No. I mean, you really can't. It would be good if they gave it to the second-place finisher, who would be the Democrat, you'd assume, in that district. Well, and if that would be the case, I don't think you'd be see this happening right now. <laughs> but they would have to have a special election? No. Uh, okay. What will happen is if he decides not to take the House seat and stay in the Senate, he they, the uh, House Republican Caucus they will pick. choose... The okay. replacement form. And, he, and vice versa. And speculation right, is he has right, wanted yeah. his wife to fill yes, that spot. that is speculation. Speaking of appointments, Columbus City Council is looking for two new members this week. We knew that Charlita Tavares was leaving. She won a seat in the state Senate. But this week, Council President Mike Mental surprised Columbus City Hall when he announced he would resign. He says to spend more time with his family and more time on his career. That means the all-democratic city council will once again be able to appoint new members who will then be able to run as incumbents. Michael Daniels, the timing is odd. First on Mike Mental. He's president of the city council. He's been talked about as a possible mayor at some point. I, th I think it shocked all of us, um, even those of us who would like to think we know what's going on inside the party. Um, I know when I got the call the night before for the press conference, um, I, I was completely floored that President Mental was stepping down. Um, so now it falls to the appointment process, which now can be an executive session. Right. And will be, will be the five remaining members of city council. You've been speculated as being a candidate for one of those? I have. Are you? Would yes. you like to be a city council? Yeah, I, I, my, I will be submitting my resume and application for one of those open seats, yes. I think, you know, good luck to you. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, as a citizen of Columbus, I'm beginning to think I live in one of these city-states where we have indirect election of uh, city council members is kind of like the U.S. Senate used to be, where people are appointed. I mean, is that the way it's I, always been here? I'm going to be bipartisan here. here. The arrogance of this <laughs> is just unbelievable. I cannot believe that everybody on city council is appointed. They do not have enough confidence in the voters of the city right. of Columbus to just put a candidate up. They are know? eventually elected, but their first step is the appointment. Then they run as right. an incumbent. I, 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 I would point out that all seven sitting members of the city council have indeed been duly elected by the voters of the city. And, and President Mental even says so much as to, says, says not, he's not even suggesting. He's saying that and we're doing the voters a favor. <laughs> By putting them in office for a year yeah, so they can well, see how they good, do. Good for him. I don't think and, that's a favor uh, that the voters want. He told me they were doing a favor with the secret meeting amendment yeah. that yeah. people got hoodwinked into voting for, too. So 
it seems like uh, more of an unfair advantage, you know, depending on which side you're coming yeah. from. And I think it totally depends upon which side you're coming from. And I think that the spin on the executive session thing, I mean, I, I personally think the executive, the executive session thing was a good idea, and that was before I put my application in for counsel. <laughs> um, but I think that it is a good idea because I think there are certain pieces of legislation, certain business that comes up before the city that the council should be able to discuss without public ears. They did it anyway. I covered city council in two different cities. I don't. They. I didn't know half of what they were doing, and I even carried a copy of the city charter around with me. This just led me into the secret this just meeting. Just makes it a lot easier. Well, easier. Democracy's not supposed to be easy. The last I heard. <laughs> <laughs> so people are supposed to be involved in the in democracy. We complain about this every time that there's a an appointment, but we still keep having them. Will it ever change at Columbus City Council? It seems to be the tradition. No. Because it's expedient way for political parties to get their people and, in and office. And the truth is that if the voters of the city of Columbus were 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 completely disgusted by the choices that were made in that appointment process, they would vote the bums out. The appointment will be made in January. There may or may not be a primary in May, but there will certainly be a general election in November. And so, these next two members of council, if the city, if, the, if people don't like the process or don't like those candidates, they toss them in November. We got to get to our final off-the-record parting shots. Michael Daniels, we'll start with you. Uh, maintaining a, a long record of sitting lieutenant governors who run for Senate and lose. Mary Taylor challenges Sherrod Brown in 2012. Bob, uh, and I'm going to agree with him because I think she might also. <laughs> You stole your off-the-record comment. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. That's all right. Bill. Oink, oink. That's how John Boehner used to greet his good buddy Dave Hobson when both were in Congress, and Dave Hobson was the champion of earmarks. Alas, earmarks are done, but don't worry about Dave Hobson. He left Congress in 1950, in 2008 and couldn't bring home the bacon anymore, even if he wanted to. All right. And Ann. Oink, oink or not, deep, deep, deep down, for some, no one with any experience in Washington really wants to get rid of earmarks. They know what they can do. Instead of abolish them, I think that after this two-year ban or whatever they call it, Congress most likely will revamp its rules on the earmark process. They'll make it more transparent, and they'll even limit the money more. And then they can say, we reformed the earmark process, and then go forward. But the pork will still be there. Right. Oink, oink. Mm-hmm. I think that's our first off the record with, the, with animal sounds. <laughs> <laughs> that is Columbus on the Record for this week. We urge you to check us out online. You can see every episode online in case you miss us or just want to relive this experience. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter, and all those links are at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week and a nice holiday. <laughs>